0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. You know, when I was making that video, I had a couple people tell me that the train crash sound effect was too much. I don 't think it was, I think you know that's yeah like right it's what the people It's what the people want to hear um, i don 't know if it 's not true, you can feel free to let me know afterwards. Um, my name's Evan. if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, I'm the creative lead here at the Grove, uh, which basically means I kind of help oversee different areas where we can use technology to kind of help further the gospel, further god 's kingdom here on earth. so I love being able to do that. Um, I also love being able to talk about the Bible. It's one of my big passions, and so uh, it's my pleasure to be able to be here today and continue our series, Off the Rails. Uh, So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, Father, I just thank you so much for the gift that it is to be able to gather together as your church and to worship you the way that you deserve to be worshipped. I'm going to pray that today, that as I speak, that they would be your words and not mine, I pray that there wouldn't be a hint of pride in my heart, but that you would just use me to communicate your truth. And I pray that you would prepare the hearts of everyone here to hear what you would have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm Okay, so I, I love this series because we're kind of talking about—we're talking about a part of Revelation that oftentimes we kind of skip. Um, you know, there's this beginning portion where we get letters to different churches, um, but a lot of times, like, if I say the book of Revelation, the first thing you're thinking of is the apocalyptic stuff that comes after this, which admittedly is super cool and awesome, but uh, also really hard to interpret, and I think it's it's a good thing to be able to come to this first portion here and really hear what God would, have us, would say to us, specifically because— Because it's so applicable, right? Um, These are letters to different churches about what they're doing well and what they're not doing well. And so it's very easy for us today to be able to look at these and just say, okay, as a church, where do we match up? Where are we doing things well that these churches are doing well? Um, And where are we dropping the ball where these churches are dropping the ball? Uh, and And so this week, our letter is to the church at Sardis, which if you don't know where Sardis is, That's totally fine. If you're online, you can look at a map, which maps are always fun. But you here, I mean, I guess you could pull out your phones, but then I would think you're not listening, and then I would be, you know, I'd be crushed internally by that. Um, But it's located in modern-day Turkey. It's about 60 miles off of the West Coast, so it's not like a port city like a lot of the New Testament towns that we read about are. Um, And it has a history of being conquered a lot, which in fairness, any city in that part of the world that's been around since ancient times has a history of being conquered a lot. That's just kind of the way. That's the way the world works. Um, but one of the things I thought was interesting, and I couldn't figure out when I was doing my research, if this is like a legend, or if it actually happened, but either way, it would have been in the minds of the people of Sardis, is that apparently two of the times when Sardis fell, it was due to the negligence of a watchman. Um, whether that watchman was asleep on the job, whether the watchman had just completely left, um, the city was sacked twice because of it. Um, now, if you don't know what a watchman is, th- like that's cool. Um, the name is pretty self-explanatory, right? Like a watchman's job is is to watch, and so that's what he would do. Um, it's a really interesting job to me because you would just be on the walls, and it would be your job to look for any dangers that could come. Uh, the biggest danger, obviously, being any sort of army, any band of raiders that's coming to take the city. So you'd be watching. If you see any th- sign of distress like that, you'd sound the alarm. All of the people from outside the walls can get into the city. You bar up the gates. The army's ready to go. Um, it's a, So it's a, it's a good thing to have. The problem is, you know, if you're a watchman, you could go your entire career without ever having to actually sound the alarm, right? Like, you could begin your job, be all gung-ho about it, and then 20 years go by, you get ready to retire, and never once has there been an approaching army that you needed to warn the city about. Um, it can be incredibly boring, because you're just getting up, you're staying up all night, and then you're just turning in in the morning, and that's the way it goes. Uh, but the bummer with being a watchman is, here's the thing, it just takes one time right? Like, it's, it just takes one time to really mess up, and all of a sudden, you wake up, and you're captured, all your friends are captured, the city's on fire, and then you have to look at everyone and be like, guys, it's my bad. Um, you know, next time, I promise I'll be, I'll be better. Shoot, ah, you know, what are you going to do, right? Watching, it's just, it's just a boring job. Um, you, you have it, and it, you, you're supposed to stay vigilant, It's boring, but again, it just takes the one time of falling short. And and this is going to sound kind of silly, but it reminds me of my car. I drive a 1999 red hatchback Honda Civic. and, And yes, it's just... It is just as cool as it sounds. Um, I bought it used off of my cousin. It was her first car. Um, A couple surprises, or at least one surprise, is the first time I went to Papa Zit in traffic, I pulled down the visor mirror and I opened it up, and there was a sticker on there telling me that I was a cutie, which is, you know, (laughs) it was the affirmation I needed in that moment to remind myself, hey, even through acne, you're beautiful. So my car... My car t- tells me that I kept the stickers on. I thought about taking them off, and I was like, nah, this is great. Um, and it- another one of the things, though, is when I-, when I first bought my car, I had a couple of friends, uh, coincidentally, both named Jacob, but they had older cars, older Hondas. And one of the things they told me was, hey, you know, these cars, they get stolen a lot. That's kind of the way it works. And so, you know, you're going to want to make sure that you take some steps to not get it stolen. One of my friends had even bought a club, which is like a, it's a metal contraption that goes on the steering wheel. It makes it really hard to steal, so it kind of deters people away from it. And, and for some reason, you know, it's like 30 bucks or whatever they cost. Um, but for some reason, in my hubris, I was like, ah, I'll get to it eventually. You know, it's a manual. No one drives those anymore. It's not going to get stolen. It's fine. Um, And some of you can see where the story is going. So I had the car for, I still have the car, but I had the car for eight years and there was no, you know, there was no incident. Like it was totally fine. Um, And then one day I woke up to go to work, went downstairs, went to the parking lot and, and my car was gone. And I was like, shoot. And so I went to all of the other parking lots to see what was going to happen. The car wasn't there. I didn't park there by accident. Um, So I had to call the police. They came, filled out a report. Um, Luckily, I I got my car back like a week to 10 days later um, with a new stereo system. So (laughs) yeah, I went to the tow yard and i opened up the trunk and i was like what is this it was like a brand new sub and the guy was like that's not yours and i'm like no and he's like it's yours now and i was like oh <laughs> cool so apparently the guy who stole it was just like you know this is my car now and i want to take care of it so that's, I mean, I got to sell that and get some money back, so that was, that was cool, at least, um, but you better believe when I got my car back, one of the first things I did is I went online, and I ordered a club, and that bad boy does not leave the steering wheel of my car when it's parked, and it doesn't matter where I'm at, right? Like, I could be in the, you know, shadiest neighborhood around here, or I could be in the nicest gated community in Bellevue, and I will still instinctively reach down, grab the club, slap it on, because it just, again, it just takes one time, like, once your car is stolen once, you just kind of live the rest of your life knowing that it could happen again. Um, And and obviously, it's a little bit silly, but it's a very similar reminder to what Jesus gives to the church at Sardis. And and here's what I mean by that. Let's go ahead and read our passage in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. so there's there's two things I want to focus on today. There's kind of I, I would say we can take them both as warnings. One is a statement that I think we can take as a warning, and the other is just a straight up warning uh, that Jesus is giving to the church. Um, but the the first one is this. He says, "You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead." And 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 boy, is that a, a scary thing to read? Like just to kind of think about what. That means, um, I've been in, I've been in church world for a while. And so one of the. One of these just unfortunate truths is that you know, ch- churches die, and, and a lot of times you can walk into a church and, and you immediately know that that's what's going to happen, um, you know, whether it's just kind of like the attitudes of the people or the attitude of the pastor. Um, it, it's obvious from the outside that that church is dying or the church is dead. But what, what's scary about this passage is it's saying that there could, there, there could be a church, or the church at Sardis was such a church where everyone on the inside thinks that this church is alive and thriving, and everyone from the outside is looking at that church and says that it's alive and thriving and, and yet it is just as dead as the church that is obviously dead on the outside. It's, it's, it's a sobering thought for us to think about. And it brought to mind to me, um, if you're going through the Bible reading plan with us, we're in the books of the prophets, we're kind of like smack in the middle of them, and one of the big themes of the prophets, one of the things they constantly go after Israel for is just the hypocrisy of, the hypocrisy of going through the motions of the sacrificial system, the hypocrisy of going through the festivals, but not having any of the heart behind it, Right? Like One of the verses that stood out to me so much when we were reading through Proverbs a few months ago is in Proverbs chapter 7, and the the whole chapter is kind of about the dangers of committing adultery, and we're introduced to a character, um, and she's an adulteress who's trying to seduce a young man to commit adultery with her. But she says this in verses 14 through 15. I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows, so now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. So in that moment, what she's literally saying is, hey, it's all good. I did my sacrifices already. My slate's been wiped clean. Now we can go do whatever we want to go do, and then I can go offer some more sacrifices, and we're fine. And and I don't think I don't think it's a stretch to say that God was not pleased with that sacrifice, right? We're we're told in Psalms that the the sacrifice that God desires is a broken and a contrite heart. Or in other words, it's not just going through the motions, it's the heart behind it. Um, And clearly, this woman is not bringing her sin before the Lord in repentance. What she's doing is just kind of checking off a box so that she can continue to live the way that she actually wants to live. And it just it it brought to mind just we see it all throughout the history of Israel, right? We see them offer sacrifices to God. We see them keep festivals, and then immediately they would go out and they would cheat someone out of their land, or they would go and commit adultery, or they would worship, they would offer sacrifices to Yahweh, the one true God, and then they would go offer sacrifices to hundreds of other gods. In addition to that, they were going through the motions as a people, and I think one of the things that we have to consider for ourselves is how can we be guilty of that? How how can I be guilty of that? Like, when we roll into church on a Sunday, are we excited about being able to worship God together as a church? Are we excited to get to learn more about Him and His Word? Or are we just kind of checking something off a box because we know, like, hey, I'm supposed to go to church this week? Like, when we take communion, are we reflecting on the sacrifice of Christ? Are we thinking about what it means to live under the new covenant that his death and resurrection bought for us? Or are we just eating a cracker and drinking some grape juice and then moving on with the rest of our day? When we pray, are we earnestly seeking the Lord? Are we... Trying to deepen our relationship with Him, or are we just kind of bringing God a Christmas list and hoping that He just checks it off one box at a time? Do do we view God's grace and God's mercy as a cheap gift that enables us to live the way that we actually want to live because we know that we'll be forgiven? Do, Do we simply just go through the motions? And I think one of, the, one of the important questions that we need to ask ourselves is, if someone met us outside of church, would, would they actually have any idea that we were Christians? And one of the most convicting moments of my life, I was in middle school, I was in eighth grade, and it was getting towards the end of the school year, um, and I was, I was sitting down, and then I heard like a group of my friends kind of off in the distance a little bit talking. And so I had grown up in church. I went to church every week, and so one of my friends that knew me from church was in that circle, and then another one who didn't know me from church was in that circle. And my friend who went to church with me said, I forgot what he said, but it was something about something we were going to do together at church that week. And then my other friend said, oh, Evan's not a Christian. And in, in that moment... It, it became so painfully clear to me how much I had compartmentalized those two parts of my life. Because like I said, I, I went to church every week. Um, it, was, it was an important thing to me. And yet, when I went to school, um, I was much more concerned with my reputation. I was much more concerned um, with what people thought of me. I, I was much more concerned with all of those things to the point that my, my friends who had known me for a few years at this point throughout middle school um, did not know that Jesus was the most important thing in my life. And, and in fact, I would say that that was evidence that at that time, it's it, that he was not the most important thing in my life. And it was was a painful thing, Um, but it was also really powerful for me. It it was a mercy of God that he let me overhear that conversation Um, because it it wasn't like the condemnation from Satan, but it was the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, like, hey, you you can be doing better right now. And and that's the age when I really started to take my faith seriously. So it it was a good thing I was able to grow from it. Um, But again, it was... It was such a, a painful thing to realize that at that time of my life, I, I had the reputation, at least with some, of being alive, but, but internally, um, I was probably more dead than I cared to see. As, as we continue on in Revelation, the, the warning that Jesus gives to the church in Sardis is to wake up. And it's, the, it's that same imagery of the watchman, right? Like, stay awake, stay on guard. And he says, if you don't, I will come like a thief. Um, it's, it's a common refrain that we hear through the New Testament. Most famously, it's, I will come like a thief in the night. Um, and it's it's almost always applying to the idea of Jesus's return. And, and I, I want to camp out here for a moment because I think as, as the church, um, not specifically the Grove Church, but as just the capital C modern Western church, um, I think we've kind of dropped the ball on living in light of the return of Christ. Um, I I said it at the beginning, but the the book of Revelation, it's it's full of um, the middle section, which is intentionally hard to interpret. And I, I kind of compare it to the Messianic prophecies, and what I mean by that is there's prophecies in the Old Testament that are pointing to Jesus, they're pointing to the Messiah, um, and so it's very easy for us on this side of Jesus to look at those and to see, oh, here's how Jesus fulfills all of those, um, but I, I, as, I, as I've gone on, as I've studied the Bible more, um, I have a lot more sympathy for the Pharisees and for the people who, who met Jesus the first time, um, not that they were right, because they weren't right, they were wrong, and, and they needed to, to change their minds, um, but I very very much understand how you can read the messianic prophecies and come away with like, oh yeah, general coming, overthrow Rome, this is going to be awesome, right? Like it's not a crazy thing that they thought of, but the the issue was um, some of those things were intentionally vague to be fulfilled later, and they had just kind of been so dogmatic with how they knew it was going to be fulfilled that they weren't able to see the truth of God when it was revealed to them. And I think that's the way a lot of revelation is going to be for us, Right. Like it's a lot of things that don't, that don't make sense, but it's going to be revealed to us in fullness on the other side of eternity. And, and I think one of the dangers of it is we, we can kind of just get caught up on, on, on those passages that we end up missing the forest for the trees. Like, we kind of just talk about, like, okay, well, has this been fulfilled yet? Has this not been fulfilled? How is this going to be fulfilled? What on earth is this dragging about? Like, all those different things. Um, but we miss the major thing that, that the book of Revelation is building towards. And in fact, we miss the major thing that, that all of Scripture is building towards. And it's the final return of Christ. And it's, the, it's the end point of all history. And when we read through the New Testament, like when you read in Acts and when you read through um, the the other books that come after that, and those are all letters from the apostles to different churches, and, and, and most of them, or at least in a lot of them, it's reminding those churches, hey, live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. Remember that Jesus is coming back. As Christians, it's a reminder that we don't just live for today, but we live with eternity in mind. It's a reminder that our salvation exists as, it's in this interesting state of kind of already but not yet. And what I mean by that is is right now, as Christians, we we already have the salvation of God assured. Um, We're already justified before the Lord. And what I mean by that is our our sin has been wiped away. We can stand before the throne of God in confidence. Um, but But we do not yet have the fullness of relationship that will come on the other side of eternity, right? So there's some things about our salvation that we take hold of right now. But there's other things about our salvation that we have faith that God is going to give to us later, and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the the return of Christ, that moment that we're looking forward to, and and I wanted to read in Revelation chapter 21, which for my money is the most beautiful passage in all of Scripture, um, which I know is a really bold statement to make, um, but it, it paints a picture of what it is that we're looking forward to. In Revelation 21, starting in verse 1, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven And I, I honestly don't know if I could ever get tired of reading that passage. It's, it's such an incredible reminder, again, of what we look forward to. Um, it's, it's repeated a few times throughout the Bible, but just the promise of, that we hope for, right? That we are God's people and He is our God. And I, I love the picture in Revelation 21 of, of getting to experience the fullness of that, of that reality. Right now we, we get to experience kind of a shadow of it, but it, but one day it will be full. And, and this is a hopeful picture, but, but how often do we live like it could be right around the corner? See, see the warning that Jesus gives to the church in Sardis is, is to wake up. It's to remember that this could be at any time. And we don't, we don't know when, right? Like there's not a code that we can solve and kind of pinpoint like this is exactly when Jesus is coming back. We're told that only the Father knows. We'll, we're told that it will be a surprise. It will be like a thief in the night. God could, Jesus could come back um, today. He could come back a year from now. He could come back a thousand years from now. He could come back right now. That would have been cool. Dang. <laughs> you got to... You gotta shoot your shot sometimes, you know. You, just, you never, you never know. But, but, but in all seriousness, how how often do we live like we could be ushered into eternity at any moment, and and whether that's the return of Christ or 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 honestly um, by our own deaths, like like none of us are promised tomorrow. But but how often do we actually live with the end in mind? I was having a conversation with someone, I was kind of talking about just one of the failings, I think, of modern worship music, and to be clear, I love modern worship music, I'm not like ragging on it, but I think one of the themes that is very underexplored is the idea of death and eternity. Um, And when you read old hymns, there's almost always a verse in there that's talking about that, right? Like in Amazing Grace, it's when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, will no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Or in Jesus paid it all, it's, and when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Like it was very much this idea of living with the end in mind. And I think part of it is because we live in a very blessed time. Um, and that's not to say there's not tragedy, there absolutely is. Um, but most of us can reasonably expect to see old age, which, which for the vast majority of human history was not a reasonable thing to think. And, and, and so I think it's, it's a struggle for us, especially when we're younger, to be thinking about the end the way that we should. Um, I, I was recently confronted with the idea of, of living with the end in mind. This is, It's a totally different situation, but uh, my wife and I, we just had our first, uh, our first child. Uh, his name's Joel, he's awesome. So he noticed me from across the room the other day, so that was pretty cool. Um, good, good job, bud. Uh, yeah, it was weird. We made eye contact and I was like, he knows I'm here. Wow! like. <laughs> Because before, that wasn't the case. Um, but we So we went and we met with a a financial planner, Andy. He goes to church. He's awesome. Uh, And so he was kind of like walking us through some different things. Like, hey, here's some smart things to make sure that you're getting set up. Uh, And then at one point, he goes, hey, Evan, do you have life insurance? Um, And I said, oh, no, I haven't gotten around to that yet. And he had a great poker face. But for like a split second, I saw in his eyes the disappointment that my dad would have when I told him I didn't do my homework right. It was just like, oh, no. And so he kind of like, hey. And so he tells me, like, you really need to be thinking about this because if if something happened, if you died, you want to make sure that your family is taken care of. And in that moment, I realized, like, I'm 30. I was kind of just living, like... Yeah, I'm gonna, I have like another 50, 60 years left. Like, I don't need to, able to worry about this right now. Um, I wasn't living with the end in mind, and it, and it would have meant if something happened, if God called me home, uh, before I think he's going to, then all of a sudden my family would be in a really rough situation. So it, it was a good wake up call for me to make sure I'm living financially with the end in mind. Um, how, how much more important is it for us to make sure that we're living spiritually with the end in mind? And it's a question of how, how would our lives change if we actually lived with the end in mind? Like, I, I think there's a lot of broken relationships. There's a lot of forgiveness that needs to be given out. And, and we tell ourselves, you know, we'll get to it one day, right? Like, I, I just, I don't want to go, I just, I don't want to do that right now. But one day I'll, I'll get around to it. I would imagine if we lived like the end could actually be just around the corner, we would be much more quick to repair those relationships. I think a lot of us kind of hold on to sin, right? And we keep telling ourselves, like, yeah, I'll deal with it down the road. Like, eventually I'll get this figured out. But it's not a big deal right now. Um, But I think if we lived with the end in mind, we would be much more quick to bring those things before the Lord in repentance and to, and to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us on how to work through those. I, I think if I said, what has God put you on this earth to accomplish? I think some of us would have things that would immediately spring to mind. And they're things that again, we just kind of keep putting off because we say like, I've got, I've got plenty of time, I'll get it figured out, I'll get it done. But, but I think if we lived with the end in mind, we would be much more likely to focus on storing up treasure in heaven than to focus on storing up treasure on earth. We, we would be much more likely to try and see what we can accomplish for the kingdom and instead of just focusing on what we can accomplish for ourselves. A few years ago, I went to men's conference and there was a, a speaker. He was a former soccer player, former sounder. Um, his name was, is, is Steve zakwani and it, this is like the main thing that stood out for me from that, con- from that conference even a few years later. And he was talking about a conversation that he was having, that he had with his mentor. And his mentor told him that the, the goal of life is, is to die empty. Or in other words, can he used the analogy of like a mango tree? Um, The goal of life of the mango tree is to know I produced all of the mangoes I could possibly produce. I'm done now. Um, Or in other words, the goal in our lives is to say, I I gave it everything that I could give. I gave as much as I could. I I strove to be the man or the woman that God called me to be. Um, I strove to accomplish the things that he would have me accomplish. I strove to become more and more like Christ every day. And and, and now that I'm at the end, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm empty. I've given it all. And I think it's, it was just such a powerful picture for me of what that life could look like. Well, I, I get to do um, memorials or attend memorials. That's just kind of part of, of being at the church. And it's, a, it's an interesting paradox because they're all sad, but there's some where you just, you come away feeling more encouraged than when you left. And it's, it's always someone's Amen. older, and you just get to marvel at the life that they led. You get to see um, when people share stories, the impact that they had on those around them as they share about their generosity, as they share about their faith, as they share about um, life-changing moments that happened because of interactions. And many of them, when they're sharing, they'll say, you know, I never told this person this, but, but, but this happened. It, it's incredibly encouraging because it's, it's attending a memorial, it's attending a celebration of life for someone who, who accomplished this that, right, for someone who was able to die empty. And so I, w- I would encourage us today as, as we wrap up, or as I wrap up, to remember that the two warnings that we see in this letter, that the first one is for each of us to take stock of our lives and to say, to, to ask the Holy Spirit, where, where do I have the reputation of being alive but am actually dead? and to ask the Holy Spirit to continuously remind us to live with the end in mind. Let's pray, Father. Once again, I just thank you for the incredible gift that it is to gather together and worship you. I pray that as we go home and as you reveal some of these things to us that it wouldn't be the condemnation of saying, but that it would be the helpful and healthy conviction of the Holy Spirit, showing us areas where you know that we can continue to improve, showing us areas where we can continue to go after you in relationship. I pray that your love would be obvious to us. I pray that you would give us the strength to do what you would have us do. And I pray that you would help us to not just look alive on the outside. I pray you would help us to be alive on the inside. And I pray that you would always help us to remember the end as we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.